Amen. And I'm so glad that we can worship the Lord together this morning. What a blessing it is uh, just to sing praises to his name and to be in God's house. You know, I want to remind you of something coming up next month in the month of September. Uh, we have a Mary Hill Davis offering, which is the offering for Texas Baptist Missions. And uh, we're going to be collecting that offering throughout the month. And uh, so if you want to give to that, um, I know that uh, you'll be blessed by giving. That's so that we can share the gospel uh, right here in Texas. And what a blessing it is to be a part of that and to, to allow God to use that, uh, telling our neighbors about Jesus Christ. Also on September 12th, uh, we're going to have a baby dedication service. So if you have a baby that you would like to dedicate, uh, please get a hold of me or call the office and let us know. Uh, and uh, we will get that, uh, get you on there uh, and your family. But uh, baby dedications on the September the 12th. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. And if you have your scripture and would open up to it, we're just going to camp out there. Uh, for a little bit in the book of Malachi. Um, you know, listening uh, to any country music uh, station for more than just a few minutes, uh, you're probably going to hear a, somebody singing the blues uh, about unanswered or unreturned love, you know, uh, something like you're cheating hard or breaking up was easy in the 90s or something like that. But uh, while we might laugh or chuckle at these songs, everyone who's been hurt by romance knows that it is a painful experience. Anytime you're going through some relational issues, See, I doubt that Malachi sang country music. But he preached about a one-sided love, about God's love, his unanswered love for the people of Israel. See, it's amazing because he preached about this one-sided love that God had for Israel and her people. See, Israel was kind of like an insensitive wife who's oblivious to the frustration and unhappiness of her husband. And if you had asked Israel about their relationship with the Lord, she would have answered, well, everything's great. But if you'd asked her mate, the Lord, he would have said, it's lousy. My wife is oblivious to my love. I could drop out of sight and she wouldn't even miss me, not one bit. But understand, it is God's evaluation of that relationship that really matters. See, it's been observed that the opposite of love is, not, is often not hatred, it's apathy. It's indifference. It's being, I don't care. I hope that no one here hates God, but some of you may have grown indifferent towards God. I mean, you may be going through all of the motions of being a Christian. You may even uh, be considered a good Christian. You go to church, you, you, you live a moral life, you do the things that you know are right to do, and you may even tithe and give 10% of your income to the Lord. But consider this, like a functional marriage. You know, a marriage where Things are taking place, but there's really not any passion. 
A marriage where you are married in word and, and maybe in deed, but it's just not really uh, something that is fulfilling for either side. We can have a functional relationship with God. Where, yeah, it works. It's a relationship. But maybe much of the passion has slowly been drained or, or leaked out over the years. Maybe you don't have the passion for God that you once had. I mean, maybe you've gone through some difficult trials and you've wondered, if God really loves me, then why is this happening to me? Why do I suffer while people who don't even believe in Christ prosper? See, Malachi's audience was there. Malachi's audience was there. I mean, you picked a great morning to come and attend worship this morning and to participate. This is one of the shortest scripture texts you will ever see from me. And before you get happy about that, I said scripture text. I didn't say sermon. There's a collective groan there, you know. Malachi chapter one. I want to begin in verse one. And I want to read down through half of verse two. Malachi starts this way. He says, the the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that your word says you have loved us. Father, I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us that we could be redeemed. I'm thankful to be able to worship you in freedom and in in truth, Father, in spirit and in truth. And Father, that we know that we sit here today because of those who have have given their lives for our freedom. Father, whether that's here in America or our spiritual freedom through Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for all that you've provided for us. And so we, we come before you now just asking, Father, for mercy for those who are, are grieving the loss of their family this week. Father, for those who are grieving because of families that are torn apart. Father, for those who are grieving because of things that are going on in, in other parts of the world. Father, I, I pray that you would be with those who are grieving, that your mercy would flow down over them. Father, that once again you would show them your love. Father, I lift up our healthcare workers. I pray that you would be with those who are on the front lines, Father, fighting COVID. And Father, I pray that you would push back that illness, Father, that you would just help us as we, as we try to uh, make a difference in each one of these lives, Father. But I pray for our healthcare workers. I pray that you would give them stamina and energy and encouragement and hope. Father, I pray that you would, we would see a turnaround uh, in, this, uh, in the coming days. Father, we lift up those who are, stand at the ready for disaster response in response to this hurricane that is, that is making landfall very soon. I pray, Father, that you would spare lives. I pray, Father, that you would help the people in, in Louisiana there. I pray, Father, that you would just show yourself mighty even during this trial, during these, these hard times.
But Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for loving us, thanking you for being our God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall, that you would pour yourself out here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, the Lord tells them, he says, I have loved you. (laughs) And the tense in the Hebrew verb there means I have loved you in the past and I continue to love you. I have loved you in the past and I continue to love you. And their reply is shocking. How have you loved us? How have you loved us? I I just, I I can't get over that. You know, they were so focused on their problems that they were oblivious to God's great covenant love toward them. It's as if God said, I love you. And they said, yeah, right. How, what have you done for me lately? I mean, that's really their attitude. And we have to be careful because that can be our attitude as well. See, God's answer to their response shows us how to overcome our own apathy to his love. As we go through Malachi for the next several weeks, I I wanna make a promise to you that I will do my best to allow the burden of each passage to filter through my own life first before I preach it to you. And I ask, will you commit to do the same when you hear the weightiness of his word? See, I'm praying for a breakthrough for Memorial. I'm praying for a breakthrough for you in your spiritual life that God would do something new in your life. See, I'd like to encourage you to read this short book at least once a week for the next couple of months. And if you do, if you do you'll discover that there are some, some challenging truths in here that, that no doubt we need to ponder. But at its very core, this book is a love letter from God. It is a love letter from God full of hope and encouragement. Do we need some hope and encouragement? I do. I know you do. I know our nation does. I know all of us need some some hope and encouragement. And the overall theme of the book of Malachi is the love of God for all people. What a blessing. You know, many times we question his love, but the Lord gives us abundant proof that his love is unchanging that he loves us the same yesterday as he does today as he will tomorrow. What a wonderful truth. See, Malachi's mission is to light the lamp of faith in a disenfranchised people. Oh, we've got a lot of people in our country who are disenfranchised, people who who don't trust, people who are just are not uh, filled with hope and encouragement. And really, that's his desire, is to fill them with hope and encouragement. And through Malachi, God called his people to find evidence of his love. To find evidence of his love by looking back, looking back to see where they have come from and the history of his choice of them. (laughs) We are chosen. He chose us. He loved us even while we were sinners. He chose us. 
So look back at that and then looking up to him to, to, to hear his call toward repentance and finally to look forward to his future coming. Oh, he's coming back. So I invite you today to look back and to look up and to look ahead. Amen. Let's talk just a little bit about Malachi the man. You know, there is in a sense in which Malachi is a man of mystery. And you just label him the mystery man. You know, his name occurs one time in the entire Bible. One time. Nothing is known about his background, his family, or his vocation. He appears suddenly, he performs his God-given task, and then he disappears from the scene. And the date of this brief ministry is, is probably around 460 to 450 B.C., making him the last prophet, if you will, one of the last Old Testament prophets. And from the context of his preaching, he, it's obvious that he was preaching to Israel and probably specifically around Jerusalem, around the, the, the city of Jerusalem. And so Malachi the messenger, um, his name means my messenger. The name Malachi, I mean, it's not the Italian prophet Malachi, but it's Malachi, the Hebrew prophet, meaning my messenger. And God called him to deliver a specific message to his people. And verse one refers to this message as an oracle. And really the word oracle means a burden. And it usually implies some type of rebuke or judgment. And so when he calls it an oracle, it's kind of this burden from the Lord that he is carrying. But the message has to do with a rebuke of his people and to let them know that judgment is, is coming. Now, Malachi came with a message warning God's people of the serious consequences of their sins. And, and um, throughout these 55 verses, it's a short book, 55 verses, Malachi carefully attributed all that he had to say from God. 47 of those 55 verses are a direct quote from God. So he's, he's hearing from God and he's, he's putting that on. This is the highest percentage of any book in the Bible. And I, I think that's huge because phrases like says the Lord Almighty are frequently found. But when we consider Malachi's message, was one, Malachi was more than a messenger. He was a godly man who displayed tremendous courage in speaking out about the priests and the religious leaders of their day, telling them where they were, uh, the words of scathing rebuke, if you will, and he was uncompromising as he pointed to the shameful practices that were going on in the temple and in the religious establishment, and he called God's people to repentance. In Malachi chapter three, verse 16, he refers to a faithful remnant who feared the Lord and honored his name. He must have been one of those God-fearers, a man who had great respect for the Lord God and who served him faithfully. His character and his conduct present a clear message apart from the words that he spoke. Now think about this. We have Malachi who is the model or the example 
And the example that he gives us is, serves as a model for every believer because God has a significant task for every believer to accomplish. God has a purpose in what you are doing here on this earth. He has something he wants you to accomplish while you are here. He has something very specific for you to do. And a part of that task is to communicate his truth with others. And I think this is so important. It's very huge because in a very true sense, all Christians are Malachi's. We are to carry this treasure that we have in earthen vessels. We're to be a witness of what Jesus Christ has done for our lives, what he has done in our lives, and we're to communicate that with others. You see, this prophet was the last messenger of God for 400 years. 400 years, they heard nothing from God. That's longer than our country has been in existence. To not hear a word from God in that time period. Nothing new, nothing new from God. No prophets, no message, no word from God. But listen, we never know when we might be God's final messenger to someone who needs Jesus Christ. In a sense, we are all Malachi's. Because we don't know that we're the last word from God for that person. We live in a crazy world of uncertainty. And we never know if we are the last witness of Christ that someone will hear. You see, Israel had ignored every sign of God's love. But then when one little hardship or difficulty came up, and it came, blew in their way. They, they quickly saw him as an unloving God. Well, he doesn't love us because there's difficulty, because something has happened. So be cautious of the contempt that is bred by familiarity. In other words, we take for granted God's love. We get comfortable in it. And we think, oh, we'll always have what we've got. But we don't know that. And we get comfortable in that. And, and I want to say this, listen, it's easy for this type of thing to happen between a husband and wife as well. And here's what I mean. It's easy to overlook 25 years of marital fidelity. We get comfortable with it. We take it for granted. Or maybe 25 years of financial diligence, whether that's on the spending side or the, or the making side. We get comfortable in it. We think that we will always have that. Those who continue to love can see signs of desire in their partner every day. See, it is easy for spouses to become blind to these things and it is just as easy for us to become blind to the love of Almighty God for us. We get comfortable in it. We take it for granted. But thank God, that's not the end of it. Let me tell you about the best news ever heard in verse two when God says, I have loved you. 
I have loved you. I have loved you and you and you and you and you. Let God's word speak to you. I have loved you. The first words of God's message through his messenger is the best news that we could ever hear. That almighty God loves me. That he loves us. And everything else the Lord spoke through his prophet expands and explains that good news. So here also is God's message to us. I mean, consider the description of God's love through Malachi, that God's love is, is, is unending. It is without end. Not only had God loved them in the past, he continues to love his people with an everlasting love, as it says in Jeremiah 31. An unending, an everlasting love. And God loves you and his love is unending. I mean, you could translate this verse like this. I have loved you, I do love you, and I will love you, says the Lord. I mean, that should inform who we are and where we are and what we do and where we go. The fact that God loves us, he has loved us, he does love us, and he will love us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. See, God's love never changes because he is unchanging. In chapter three, verse six of Malachi, it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. His love is unending. His love is also unlimited. I mean, Israel is not the exclusive object of God's love. All people in all nations are included. I love that. I mean, you think about Malachi and he's, he's proclaiming what, what God is, is speaking to him and he, he has a very strong missionary theme in Malachi. If you look at verse 11 of chapter one, twice in that verse, God says, my name will be great among the nations. His name will be great among the nations. His love is unlimited. His love is unending and it's also unconditional. I mean, even though most of God's people had turned their backs on him, he continued to love them. He continued to bless them and use Israel to bless the nation. And you know, the nations, and even though he did that, their disobedience did not cancel his love for them. And when God declares that he loves us, he is assuring us that he always, always, always is for us and our best interests. You know, as the psalmist declared, he said, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. This is indeed the best news ever heard. Do you know anyone today who has the same attitude as God's people in Malachi's day did you know they may be asking the question is serving God worth it where is God in all of this why is this happening to us see they've slipped into sort of a rut of religious motions just going through the motions they've got a functional relationship with the Lord but it's not one of passion it's not one of desire 
It's a functional relationship. Their faith has withered into cynicism. They're very cynical about God and what he could do in their life. And their love for the law has slipped into callous indifference. Eh, it doesn't really matter. Eh, if they want to live that way, they can live that way. I'm not going to say anything to them. And we're pushed into silence because of our apathy and because of our indifference. You see, their revival fires have dwindled down just to smoldering embers. Oh, Lord, please rekindle our flames. Oh, Lord, please rekindle our flames that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ would burn hot for him. See, no one, no one knows what I'm about to say right now better than Braden and Caroline Tanner. Because right now they are in the middle of remodeling their house. And you know, it's taking more time than they had hoped. It's taking more money than they had planned. And it's making a bigger mess than they ever thought possible. My point is that personal revival, personal revival is like remodeling a house. It takes longer than you hoped, it costs more than you planned, and it makes a bigger mess than you ever thought possible. You see, when we talk about personal revival, that, that, that really stirring up God's, his passion within us, personal revival takes longer because there is no quick fix to spiritual apathy. Oh, we don't want to do that because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to do that because we know it's gonna take longer, we know it's gonna cost more, we know it's gonna make a big mess in our life, and some things are gonna have to change. And so therefore, we don't care anything about personal revival. See, we are an impatient people and somehow we feel that our time is more valuable than anyone else's, especially God's. But God is not so concerned about your happiness. He's not so concerned about your comfort as much as he is concerned about your character and fitting you for heaven. No matter how long it takes you. He's already fitted for heaven. He's working on us, trying to get us ready. See, it also costs more. And the reason that personal revival costs more is because we're accustomed to worshiping God on the cheap. We don't want it to cost us anything. I'll have $3 worth of God, please, and that should do me for this week. But you see, we don't want it to cost us anything, and when it starts to cost too much, then we turn and walk away. Just about when we're pressing through for a breakthrough, we quit too soon. There is no cheap way. There is no cheap way to honor Almighty God. Amen. It's costly because He's worthy. Amen. 
mean, I'm so glad that Jesus wasn't trying to get by cheaply when he gave his life for me, when he hung on the cross and poured out his lifeblood so that I could be redeemed. He wasn't doing it on the cheap. He knew it was costly. And he did it anyway. Listen, at the heart of our worship is worship from our heart. And there's no cheap way around that. See, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But one of the biggest things, that reasons we don't want personal revival is because it makes a big mess. We can't leapfrog, we can't just jump over those personal hidden sins because when we lift up the flooring, the subflooring in remodeling, lifting up the subflooring and you see what's underneath, the reason that it's tacked down is because you didn't want to deal with it. But the reality is, is when you lift that up and let Jesus in there, there's going to be light that flows in there and that's no longer going to be a dark place in your heart. He's going to cleanse it. He's going to sanctify it, and he's going to make it his own. And folks, that's what we need is personal revival. The Holy Spirit will lead us to places we don't want to go and deal with the dark corners of our hearts and lives so that Christ can come in and and be glorified in them. You know, Wilbert McLeod, he said this. He said, revival is God's finger pointed right at me. D.M. Patton said, revival is the inrush of the spirit into a body that threatens to become a corpse. See, we don't need the sea that Jesus walked on. We need the Jesus that walked on the sea. That's what we need. We need more of him and less of us. And some churches are so dead, they don't need a revival, they need a resurrection. But understand that when Christians are on fire, When believers are on fire, that others are warm to that and sinners are attracted to the light. But you see the great threat, and I'm almost done, the great threat of the church in America is not that we are persecuted. It's not that we are homeless. It's not that we are driven about like refugees, but that we are so much at home here in this world. We've let the Lord's delay put us to sleep. There's no sense of urgency. There's no earnest expectation. There's no heart-wrenching cry, come Lord Jesus. No passionate mission strategy to penetrate the unevangelized people who must be reached before he comes. And inevitably, when the urgent zeal for the name of God fades, so does the moral power to live pure and holy lives. And where there once was the master God, now becomes master mammon. And in our world, master lust. See, Malachi's audience was there. And today, so are we. But we don't want it to be that way. 
We desire something different. And God has touched many of our hearts lately to make us long for freedom and power in his spirit. We desire that. We desire to see an outpouring of his spirit. And so this morning, I just, I want you to bow your head for just a moment as we finish this up. Just bow your head. And we pray, loving Father, forgive us of our complacency for the lost. Forgive us for the smallness of our vision. Forgive us for the weakness of our spiritual lives. Move, God. Move and touch us with light and with fire. Tune our hearts to sing your praise. Let us know the thrill of dying to ourselves so that we might live in righteousness. Father, let us know the soaring of our souls that comes with decreasing so that Christ may increase. Give us such an encounter with the living Lord that, we, that every doubt is ejected and joyful confidence and unashamed boldness drives us to the mission in our work and in our ministries. Father, may, may we all begin to cry out to you, O oh God, like that. Father, we desperately need you. Almighty God, we need you to help us. Help us as we move toward a spiritual breakthrough here at Memorial. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.